Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Relationships Rock. Today, we're talking about infertility myths and freezing your eggs. This is a topic that has been on my list since I even before started the podcast. I had heard about freezing eggs, like I knew about the concept, but I have no clue about at what age, when, how, and I started to research it and I realized that it honestly is a really big concern in Shidochim and dating fertility and age being counted against you, whether it is the women being worried about it or even the men being worried about it. So since I started the podcast a year ago, this has been in my to-do list, but I really wanted to get an incredible specialist who was knowledgeable and caring and understanding and open-minded. And I searched high and low and I'm so excited to introduce Dr. Zahar Wertheimer. Thank you for being here, Zahar. Thank you for having me. I don't know if I should be flattered that I was the doctor you found when you searched high and low or that you needed to even search high and low to begin with. <laughs> uh, my smartest sister. <laughs> so I happen to know Sahar um, for a very long time. I, I always joke around that there's like nepotism on this podcast because <laughs> people that I know, but I'm going to be completely honest. And those that um, see my WhatsApp status know I did post and I have been asking around. And actually, Dr. Sahar's name came up from numerous sources. Ah, yeah. I'm and they were, like, they were like, why would you not go with Sahar? Like, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, Thank Sahar's you. on the list. I just wanted to like, you know. You wanted to not show see. nepotism. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> but at the end of the day, nepotism wins. <laughs> so <laughs> welcome to Sahar. there for a reason. <laughs> Dr. Sahar Wertheimer is located in LA. I'm going to put all of her contact information on the description box and you guys can reach out to her directly with follow-ups or questions. Like I said, I know Sahar for a very long time. And not only is she absolutely brilliant, um, but she's also just so sweet and so open-minded. I am not surprised that you're successful in this field, which needs kind of like that balance. And um, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is such an important topic. I'm so glad you're tackling it. Thank you. And I guess let's get started with the first question, which is, at what age should women begin thinking about fertility? Like at what age should they be worried or think, oh my gosh, what do I do next? Is this going to affect me and so forth? Yeah. You know, we always as physicians hesitate to give a, um, a hard answer to that question. And the reason is because we never want somebody who's younger than the age that we say to be like, oh, you know, my fertility went down the drain. Nobody ever told me to check it out in my 20s. Um, I would say by and large, you want to start thinking about it if you're not there already in your early 30s, especially in the Orthodox Jewish crowd, where we're thinking of having, you know, maybe a larger family. Um, so you need kind of time to get those, um, to, get, to give yourself, uh, you know, baby number three or number four. That being said, you know, it's never too early to start thinking about your fertility either. Um, and I would encourage everybody to really pay attention to your menstrual cycle and um, symptoms that might be not normal and not to sit on them if you think they might not be normal. An irregular period and actually a shortening cycle, a cycle where, you know, instead of 28 days, it's becoming 27, 26 is one of the maybe biggest red flags that your um, fertility could be starting to decrease. So always err on the side of caution, go to your doctor and ask questions, and hopefully we can catch more people before it's too late. Yeah. So I wonder if you could give us some, like, like, like you said, so shortening a uh, cycle, what else would be some other things to look out for in your twenties, uh, yeah. for today, you could even be 1920. I want to also give a side point disclaimer. 
you know, fertility is not just age related. There's obviously an age component. It's biology. Mm-hmm. But um, even beforehand, like maybe if you know your mother or your, you know, in your family have fertility issues, like how would you kind of play all of that into it? Absolutely. Okay. So in the interest of keeping this um, organized, let's talk about what you said, the biology first. So age is probably the biggest factor that affects your fertility, but as you mentioned, not the only one. You're born with one to 2 million eggs. Actually, the highest amount of eggs you'll ever have is when you're in utero, 20 weeks in your mother's uterus, about six to 7 million. By the time you're born, you're down to one to 2 million. By the time you're in menopause, you're in the thousands. So if you do some quick math, right, you're not losing one egg every month. You're losing actually a whole group of eggs constantly. You have this background vault of eggs that every month the group is coming to the front of the ovary and they're all competing to be the egg that you're going to ovulate that month. Whether or not you get pregnant with that egg, the rest of those eggs that didn't quote unquote make it don't get saved for a future cycle. They get resorbed by your body. So, and that speaks to quantity, but also to quality. So as we get older, the quality of our eggs get older because they've been in our body. We're not consistently making new eggs the way men make new sperm. And so your eggs get a little bit older as you get older. And then, um, and then as you know, they're, when they're trying to split, um, to create a new, uh, embryo with, you know, half of the maternal DNA and then half of paternal DNA, the splitting becomes a little bit more difficult and they don't split so cleanly down the middle and they contribute extra or less DNA and you end up with an abnormal embryo and that's due to egg quality usually leads to no pregnancy. So um, age is absolutely the most important biological factor. We know that around age 35 to 37, depending what study you read, your fertility begins to decline a little bit more rapidly than it did before. So it's not that you, I think women get really scared that that number is like, oh shoot, I'm 35, I'm not gonna be fertile anymore. You don't jump off a cliff and are no longer fertile. It's just that you start to, um, time starts to matter even more than it did before. And then um, in terms of other factors and things to look out for. So um, you are correct, your genetics. So your your mother's um, history, if, if there's any red flags there, did she have recurrent miscarriages? Did she go through menopause really early? Those could be reasons why you might want to look into it a little bit sooner. If your periods are super painful, that could indicate something like endometriosis. That can destroy your ovary reserve a little bit sooner. And that would be a reason to use your eggs earlier. If you have anything obviously hormonally off with you, is your thyroid um, hypothyroid or hyper, you know, are you taking meds for your thyroid? If you have been told you have PCOS, um, if you have irregular, long or short, all of these, if your bleeding is irregular, all of these are reasons to just, you know, err on the side of caution, go to your OBGYN and get some testing done. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that really a woman's period is so connected to her overall health. Yeah. But we don't really start thinking about periods until we're married. Like it's almost like you, you, it's just something there. It's annoying. It's difficult, whatever the case is. And, um, I know when I was teaching, um, psychobio in, in college, I, I, I would tell my, my female students, you know, like think about where your health is, you know, your period is telling you I'm in a good place. I'm not in a good place. And sometimes, like you said, you know, if you're skipping three cycles, like you're just not bleeding, you're bleeding every four months. These are all things to, you know, that, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of you um, because you're absolutely correct. I tell everyone all the time, your period is your fifth vital sign. It gives you a lot of information as to what's going on with you. 
Now, the only thing that we have to be a little bit careful of is that if you're on hormonal birth control, whether you're taking it for acne or to regulate your periods or um, to provide contraception in between children or whatever, um, that it, then you can no longer rely on your period as a vital sign because now the period is a reflection of what of the birth control. So I think, you know, I trained in the Bronx where the unexpected um, pregnancy rate is, the unattended pregnancy rate is very high. And we, we were very into advocating birth control. Um, but now being on this side of the um, equation, I think that um, it, it's good for most women if you can, if there's a period where you're not sexually active and, you know, the risk of pregnancy is not a bad one for you. It is good to go off your birth control pills for a few months and just check in with your um, with your with your body versus just go get, you know, an ovarian reserve testing with your doctor, um, even if you are on birth control pills and are not thinking about it, you know that's kind of the danger in being on birth control pills for so many years and not really having a check-in point. So we know that birth control pills do not affect your fertility. So that's a myth that um, is really out there and it's causing a lot of damage. There are other things that birth control has downsides to, right? And a lot of women hate being on birth control pill. Now there's a very large movement to go to more natural fertility awareness methods. And I say for everybody, like, you know, whatever is the right decision for you, as a physician, my concern with natural fertility methods is that it's, it's highly fallible, right? People um, can uh, get it wrong, get their timing wrong, or they can um, spontaneously be in the mood and forget. Um, and so it's not the most effective method of birth control pills. Now, if you're in a stable relationship who was going to have more children anyways, then um, that might not be your biggest risk, right? So natural fertility methods allow you to avoid all the side effects of birth control pills like you know, mood changes, lower libido, um, whatever it may be. But we have tons and tons of data because so many women have been on birth control pills that it does not affect your long-term fertility. There may be a month or two where your bleeding is a little bit thinner, sorry, lighter, because your lining has been thinned out, but your actual ovarian reserve um, would be pretty much the same. I think um, birth control gets a bad rep in that regard because when people come off of it, they are unmasking what was going on underneath the birth control pill. And now all of a sudden they think they have PCOS. But it's not that you didn't have PCOS before. You always had PCOS. The birth control pill was just helping to control the symptoms. And now you took that away. But alternatively, you can also just go to your doctor and get an AMH test, um, it's a blood test, and it tells you... Uh, about your background ovarian reserve. And, you know, you can give it, get an idea of, oh shoot, it's really low, didn't expect it, or okay, it's kind of where it should be for women my age. There's so many factors. Yeah. So so what would happen if um, a woman, you know, who's single dating, late 20s, gets for, you know, goes to check her ovarian reserve mm-hmm. and it's it's low? Like what, what would you advise them to do mm-hmm. then? I would absolutely advise them to have a consult with an infertility doctor. Um, and we would be happy to see you here at HRC. Um, but I think at the very least a consult, right? Because knowledge is power. The argument I hear on the opposite side of why are we checking AMH in women who are not trying to get pregnant is that we may be creating anxiety in women that they didn't need to have. Because AMH gives you an idea of your ovarian reserves potential. It does not tell you about your current ability to get pregnant. Every woman, regardless of whether she has 100 million eggs in the background or two eggs in the background, they're, they're ovulating 
maybe not two eggs because your periods start to get a little bit irregular. But if you have a normal or a lower amount, you, you're still ovulating one egg every month. So you still have the same chance as get, getting pregnant this month as somebody else, you know, with a higher reserve. So we scare women with these tests. And that's the argument to not do it. I would argue, again, biased by my Orthodox Jewish community and our values, that um, any woman would take the anxiety of um, that lower test in order to be able to freeze her eggs and kind of give herself more insurance for the future over not. So I'm a very big fan of having women just check in because if you're in your late 20s and you have a lower ovarian reserve, you can absolutely freeze your eggs. Um, nothing's a guarantee. Your doctors are not God, um, but it gives you a very, very good chance at getting pregnant in the future. I think that's game-changing for a lot of women. Yeah, I think also part of the fear, especially in Shidduchim, and this mm -hmm. goes with anything with, you know, diagnosing certain illnesses or getting help when you need it, mm -hmm. is this fear of now I have to share it. So if if somebody goes and, and they, they know, look, I had to freeze my eggs, I have low ovarian um, counts, they might feel yeah. this pressure of, oh no, now I have to like, at some point on a big day, reveal this fertility thing where if I just didn't say anything, yeah, I could just deal with it when I get married. Yes. Yeah. I really, I hear that. I do. I actually have a patient currently who has, um, she has a, she's not Jewish, but she has a very similar situation where she feels like, do I have to tell people that I'm dating that I've frozen my eggs three times and my ovarian reserve is really low. And it's such a hard question to answer because otherwise you wouldn't have known if you didn't check. I feel like um, it's not the type of thing that you have to say on date number one or date number two. I don't know if you even have to say it at all. I would defer those people to you to help them um, figure it out. But I would say if you're going to say it, I think it comes up when you're much more comfortable in your relationship. You've done everything you could, you know, by freezing your eggs, et cetera. And then if that person tells you like, you're only right for me if X, Y, Z, then maybe that's not the right person for you. You know, I think you can really do a lot by freezing your eggs to guarantee your future fertility. And um, I know women don't like to hear this, but just for the sake of telling women who are very low on hope, there are other ways to have children as well, including donor eggs. Sometimes it's right. Cause you could get married to a guy and he has no sperm, right? So, you know, yeah, people don't talk about male infertility as much. And 30% of the time men have low sperm. Yeah. And I've actually, yeah. this is crazy, but I've heard of women who lie who say they're the issue. Like when they're struggling with infertility publicly in the front community wow. to protect their husband, because it's a really big yeah. struggle in terms of masculinity and in terms of just feeling yeah. you know, very, yeah. it's very difficult. And I know women who literally put up a face of they're the ones who are struggling yeah. To protect you know, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. We shouldn't be throwing anybody under the bus 100%. as it's being their fault. Even if it is the female, it's not her fault. You know, there's nothing she did or could have done. And it doesn't say anything about her self-worth. This is the conversation that we need to change. I mean, this is it, one in five couples are struggling with infertility. Wow. And that's so, in the Jewish community. Or that's, saying... the, that's the community at large. That's the community mm -hmm. at large. I don't think we have data on just in the Jewish community. At some point we did when we were, when we were saying, you know, infertility was one in eight. We now know it's much more common. And I, um, you know, the Jewish community is a little bit skewed because we start having children younger. Yeah. So um, that could make it look better. But if, you know, so the age is a bias, but um, I don't, I, I truly don't know. Yeah. And I'm just going to mention it here. You know, whenever yeah. I do Kala classes, 
Yeah. I was actually told to mention infertility, not, yeah. not to scare. So happy me. to hear that. Yeah. Not, not to scare, not to create anxiety, not to give horror stories, but just to say, look, a lot of women struggle with this. Yeah. These are more common than, than, than people realize. Yeah. And you know, the advice that I got was at the point that you feel nervous about your own fertility, it doesn't matter if you're 19 and have been married for six months. 100%. If you feel something is wrong, go get it checked out. And-, and this is why it's so important to have um, people educating the community because you need, unfortunately, you know, hopefully you find a good doctor who takes your concerns seriously. I like to think the majority of us do want to do good, but yeah, we need to be good self-advocates and know how to ask for what we want and not stop until we get it. And if you're concerned about your fertility, you should keep going to a doctor until you find a doctor that validates your concern and helps you evaluate it further. Yeah. And I feel like this leads into the whole infertility myths that I want to kind of discuss with you because there's so many of them. So you already brought up one, which is how birth control is not correlated to infertility. What are some other myths? Like think of like top myths, like women come to you with their fears. Yeah, I would say um, the birth control one is huge. Um, I would say the fact that women think they, 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 a lot of times women think they did something to cause their um, ovarian reserve to be low or their periods or not to get pregnant. Like, should I stop eating this? Should I stop drinking this? And I think that's also like a really big misconception. I mean, infertility is really not your fault. There's very, very little that's in your control, if at all. Um, I would say another myth is that there, yeah, exactly. That men don't have so much of a role. 30% of the time infertility is due to male factor. That's that's a huge amount. And 30% of the time to females, 20% of the time it's totally unexplained. So it's like, you know, it's actually pretty equal between men and women. Um, And uh, another one I think is like, there, there are certain things out there like people hear that their uterus, so you can, your uterus can, is kind of a little bit, it's attached via some ligaments and the vagina to your pelvis and it can be forward facing or backwards facing. And women have been told many times that backward facing is the reason that they're not fertile. And that's totally untrue. Um, if it's tilting back in your pelvis, that's just a normal variant, like being a right-hander or left-hander. Uh, you would not believe how many people still think that putting your legs up after intercourse keeps the sperm inside and helps you get pregnant not true, not true. Yeah. You don't even have to stay laying down. So sperm is, um, propelled naturally. And by the physiologic changes that it goes through, um, in the vagina to propel itself forward and, um, and keep swimming towards the egg. So, um, it, it, it doesn't matter what position you're in afterwards. Um, position of intercourse doesn't matter. Another big myth is that people think they can influence the gender of the fetus. Um, if they have coffee before, or if they are an acidic diet or a basic diet, that is totally untrue as well. Um, there have been many studies in this and none of them have found a good percentage increase one way or the other. I know the Gemara talks about, you know, different um, things that might, I, I don't know, I haven't done a randomized control trial on that, but um, I would say for the most part- Maybe you should. Like that would be an interesting uh, study to publish. You'll always hear stories of confirmation biases. Oh yeah, I did this and this happened. Um, but for the most part, the only way to actually guarantee that not, not even right, but guarantee the gender of your baby is to do IVF with PGT, where we actually test the embryo and tell you what gender it is. And even then we're not influencing what gender you're going to have. We're just showing you from what you made this month, this is what you have. So 
bunch of myths that come to mind, but I'm sure there's more. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to add, you know, we, we have this concept that, you know, the gates of life and death are belong to a Kodesh Barofu, you know, and at the end of the day, fertility, which is all about giving birth is it's beyond our hands. And I think it's amazing to have from doctors who are on the front lines, you know, helping um, women in the Jewish community, which is a really, really big struggle. And I know it's not the topic here, but it's, it really is a big struggle in a community where there's children everywhere, family oriented, and, you know, you struggle, the, the struggles are, are, are very internal and very lonely a lot of the times. It is. It's very lo- lonely. We are a very child centric religion. And, um, and, you know, with all the trauma that we've gone through in the past, the Holocaust, and most recently, October 7th, you know, I think we all feel a very big responsibility to ensure the continuity of the Jewish people. And um, I think, you know, it's such an honor to be in this field and to try and help women do that. But 100% what you said, God is the absolute determinant. I am just the messenger. And so all we can do is our best and pray and, um, and hope that, you know, that it works. Yeah. And I don't know how many guys are actually listening or at least have stuck around this long to listen, but I would love to know how you would respond to guys were nervous to date quote unquote older women because of the fear of infertility. And by the way, that is something that I, I want to just kind of like put out here. You know, as women get older, they feel this huge burden of the ages being counted against me. And I went from 33 to 34. I haven't changed. I look the same. Like nothing about me is different. And all yeah, of a yeah, sudden it's like they're in a different category, yeah. you know, or they feel like they're being judged because of their age. And and by the way, we did address age is correlated to fertility. We're not pretending it's not. Right. But how would you respond to somebody who's nervous to date somebody in their 30s, mid 30s because of fertility? Um, you know, it's it's such a tough question um, because um, I, I, as somebody who wanted children myself, and that was kind of like um, a non-negotiable for me, I understand why that might be concerning, that why a partner not being able to have children might be concerning to some people. Um, what I would say is that first of all, mid-30s can absolutely still have their own children, um, and even late 30s, and sometimes even early 40s, believe it or not, with IVF. Um, and but at the same time, I would say that we need to change the narrative and we need to um, stop letting there be such a um, stigma, stigma, yeah. stigmatization. We need to stop with the stigmatization that as women get older, they're infertile or not unworth, uh, worthless. There's so much more to life than um, a woman's uterus. And there are other ways of having children as women get older. Um, and, but at the, okay, so. I would say to our, if I'm talking to our young women, what I would say is please check in with your fertility, freeze your eggs, maybe even more than once. The majority of women do need to do more than one cycle um, and really make it a priority because it's heartbreaking when it becomes um, very, very much more difficult than just, you know, thawing your eggs and fertilizing them and putting them back. Um, and on the other hand, what I would say to the men is that there's so much value in a woman beyond her ability to reproduce her own genetic eggs. And what I would say is that we know that the uterus um, does not age in the same way that the ovaries do. So if a woman has frozen eggs or embryos, or if she decides, if a couple decides to do donor eggs, um, then the she can 
still carry the pregnancy into her 40s. So we have to just start changing the narrative, decreasing stigmatization and, um, and helping women be proactive. Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned donor eggs. I happen to think donor eggs are a very controversial topic. Mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of research in terms of what happens to the women who donate their eggs afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in places like Europe and stuff like that, it's actually illegal to, to donate eggs because of the, the effect that it has on the women. And, you know, we don't sell organs and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I don't want to get into that topic, but I do want to point out that there are nuances to it. Absolutely. That are complicated. Absolutely. It's complicated. It's not easy. It's also not cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's for a lot of reasons, usually not somebody's first choice, but, um, but it is an option. And it does exist. Yeah. And luckily it is sanctioned by very big rabbinim. So, you know, um, there are options and this, this might, I hope this isn't somebody's challenge in life, but if it is, I want them to know that there's still happiness and joy and fulfillment that can be found. Yeah, so we kind of thrown the, the term freezing eggs like throughout. I, I want to kind of focus on it for, for, for a minute. So what exactly is frozen eggs? Why should you do it? When should you do it? Mm-hmm. What does the cost look like? And are there any downsides? Okay, so um, freezing eggs is really just the first half of IVF, right? So if you were to go back and thaw the eggs and fertilize them and use them and put them back in the uterus, now you're completing an IVF cycle. So freezing eggs, what we do is, um, remember how I told you, you know, you have this background vault of eggs and every month a group comes to the front of the ovary and they're all competing to be the egg that you're going to ovulate that month. In egg freezing or IVF, instead of just letting that one quote unquote win and become the dominant follicle, we actually try to get the whole group of eggs to grow. And, um, and, and so a lot, the answer, so there is a question that I get asked often, which is if you're freezing my eggs and taking out all my eggs, are you making me go through menopause sooner? Are you decreasing my reserve? And the answer is no, I am just rescuing what you were going to lose this month anyways. Okay. So, and um, so what we do is we help them grow with hormonal injections that are basically your body's own natural injections, but like on a much higher level to get them all to grow. And then, um, you know, it's an intense period of about two weeks where you're going into the doctor's office, maybe every other day for, um, transvaginal ultrasound and blood work to kind of check on the growth of the follicles, which follicles are, um, the fluid filled sacs that house the eggs. So that's the marker we can see on ultrasound. We can't actually see the microscopic egg on the ultrasound, but, um, and during the time period, we're telling you to go up on your meds or down on your meds to really try and optimize the growth of as many follicles as possible when they look like they're ready you end up, you, you have a trigger injection that causes the release of the follicles. And then we meet you in the operating room 36 hours later and um, you're under an anesthetic. So you won't feel it. You won't remember it. There's a podcast out right now that's scaring a lot of women, but most centers don't use um, conscious sedation. They use subconscious sedation. Um, so we take your eggs out and we freeze them. Eggs um, are have about an 85% thaw rate at a good center. Um, so it is conceivable. You could lose some eggs on the thaw versus embryos because eggs are one cell. Embryos are multicellular. So they freeze a little bit better. So if you're in your long-term relationship with your lifetime partner, embryos would be my choice because we know the potential of each embryo so much more. Eggs have to jump through a lot more hoops. Are they going to come out good when you take them out in surgery? Are they going to thaw? Are they going to fertilize? Are they going to make it to the embryo stage? Once they're embryos and we genetically biopsy them to see if they're normal, are they going to be normal? So, um, 
embryos, once we have an embryo, it's kind of gone through all those hoops, I can give you a much more predictable success rate with the embryo. That being said, you cannot unfertilize an embryo. So eggs give you a lot more social mobility. If you have any doubt about your relationship, if you're in one, you should absolutely be freezing your eggs. Um, so we said what it is, why to do it. The reason to do it is because it allows you to have your own genetic children in the future if you're not ready right now. Um, and when to do it, I would say as soon as you're, just like you said, as soon as you're starting to wonder about your fertility is a time to go get a consult and make an educated decision with your doctor. It depends on so many factors. It depends on what your ovarian reserve is, what your intended family size or your ideal family size is, and where you are socially. And all of these things can be considered, your doctor can give you so much um, information and success rates and graphs to kind of show you, okay, this is how many eggs I think you're going to need. Um, and this is, you know, for your intended family size. And again, nothing is set in stone, right? On the other side of the equation, if you're 25 and you haven't met your um, Bisharit yet, right? And you go ahead and freeze eggs, maybe you meet them at 26 and you never needed to use these eggs. So it's balancing the, um, the cost benefit ratio. And I, um, I think, you know, start thinking about it if not already, for whatever reason in your late 20s to early 30s and go see a doctor to discuss it more in detail. Um, downsides would be the cost, <laughs> in my opinion. So it can be pretty expensive. Um, some insurances are covering it, but not much. Um, and also some um, Sedeca organizations are starting to give women to freeze eggs as opposed to just infertility, but it's still not the norm. Um, and, and the reason it's not the norm is really how expensive it is, right? Like every single woman to freeze her eggs is going to be more than all the women um, dealing with infertility. So um, it's tough. Um, but I would say it's an investment in your future. And um, you can, a lot of centers will allow you to finance the cost so that you don't have to pay it all at once. And a lot of times we do specials. Right now we have an excellent special at HRC. It's the lowest I've heard of. Um, and we've just extended it for a few more months. So, you know, um, full disclosure, we don't make a lot of money off of it, but I love to be able to give women the, um, the ability um, and the access to care that is so important for them. So do they have to be in LA or California in order to, to do this? Like, like with you? In. if they can fly in, we can do a consult online. Um, you will need to fly in for your procedure and ideally for the two weeks of monitoring beforehand, but we can also arrange remote monitoring in some cases. It's worth it to just talk to us, I think. Yeah. And like I said, I am going to put Dr. Zahar's um, information so you guys can reach out to her. I actually have some questions. So yeah, in terms of downside, is there any downside in terms of the act of taking out the eggs hurting your mm -hmm. fertility? Mm -hmm. Like, is there any, you know, risk of that? Okay. So risks to your fertility? No. Cause as I said, um, we, we are taking the eggs you were going to lose anyways. Okay. So we're not decreasing your fertility. Risks in general, anytime you do a medical intervention with a procedure, there's risks. There's risks of pain, bleeding, infection. They are so minimal. I have, I don't even want to tempt any eye in Hara, but thank God, very, 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 very low risk. Um, and I would say the biggest risk is for two weeks, you're kind of feeling a little moodier than normal, a little more bloated than normal, but everything goes back down to normal. Um, um, and then, okay, so the risks of, ha so a lot of times the question I get asked are, are the children of IVF um, more at risk for something than other kids? 
So to the best of our knowledge, there's lots of studies on this. There was one big study, I want to say out of the Netherlands that was on like millions of children born from IVF. And they did find a slightly, slightly, I'm saying like a fraction of a percent increased risk of cancer in children born from IVF. Um, so it's possible. Would I personally, if I couldn't have children, not have children for that fraction increase of a risk percent? Personally, no. Um, anything can happen in life, you know? Um, hopefully we all leave healthy, um, yeah, healthy whole lives. Yes. Um, and then um, there is some increased risk to the pregnancy over general pregnancies that um, because the egg was frozen and the way that the implantation happens, there is the placenta can make you a little bit more likely to have high blood pressure disorders in pregnancy, gestational diabetes in pregnancy, abnormal placentation with hemorrhage or a need for cesarean. Again, minimally increased over the general population and probably a risk that I personally would still take, but worth it to get all the information from your doctor. Wow. I actually love how honest you're being, but you're not just trying to sell it. Nothing is without risk. Yeah. Nothing is without risk. Anybody who's telling you something's without risk is... Um, they're lying. <laughs> yeah. It's just about what, what tolerance of risk and what the benefit totally. ratio is. And, and the cost benefit, you know, so speaking yeah. of cost, and yeah. I know it's going to depend on where you are and all of that, but yeah. I want to just throw out there like a ballpark number. Okay. Okay. Cause, cause I want, I want to tell you something. It's a really, yeah. it's really scary for women who are thinking about this to make the first phone call. And I kind of want to give as much information so they can then by the way, obviously disclaimer, we're speaking in such general terms. Like, you know, when you go speak to, let's say Dr. Sahar, it's going to be one-on-one specific to your genetic, everything, yeah. history and so forth. But just to kind of give them an idea of like, okay, what am I signing up for? And also, yeah. is there a difference of the cost of freezing the eggs and maintaining mm -hmm. the eggs? Like, oh, is that question. a separate cost? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in general, um, no institution that I've ever been at wants the doctors to talk about finances because we always mess something up or set bad expectations. But to give you a ballpark, an egg free cycle, right? So there's the actual um, cost of the center and the ultrasounds in the labs, and then there's the separate cost of the medication. Medications are very expensive. This is egg freezing for IVF. Um, at my center, we have a, a deal because of how large we are with the pharmacies that provide us medication. So we're able to offset the cost of it. I would say um, typically nationwide, the cost of an egg free cycle can be anywhere between 10 to 15,000 and of an IV, a full IVF with um, fertilization and genetic testing can be about 26,000, even higher if you need more add-ons for whatever reason. Um, at our center, our current um, special, there's an all-inclusive egg freezing. If you meet criteria, you have to meet the criteria of $5,900, which is very, very good. And again, it's not going on for long. And then um, the IVF is about 23,000 for the all-inclusive package. And then there's other combinations you can do with, um, you know, a la carte. Maybe you did some testing already with your doctor. You don't want to repeat. You want to see if it's going to be cheaper. Maybe you don't want to do this. Or you don't want to do that. So again, yes, very personalized. Um, there's a lot of organizations out there that will help finance it. Um, a lot of Jewish organizations out there. And for those who are struggling with infertility, I encourage you to reach out with experts to them. For those of you without infertility, I encourage you to donate to them. Hoa, Bone Olam, they're momish doing miracles. Um, there's a lot of them. Jewish Fertility Foundation, um, Spork, there's so many. Um, and there's also the ability to finance a lot of times. So again, it doesn't have to be one upfront cost, can be um, you know paid off in months or whatever. But 
And then, oh yes, your question was, is storage separate? So a lot of times the packages will include a year or two of storage. And after that, you do need to pay for storage. Um, I'm not totally sure what the cost of storage is. Probably depends how many you have, but it is much, much lower than the cost of the procedure. I want to say it's in the hundreds, definitely under a thousand a year, I think. Okay. I, mean, I, I feel like it's something I could even Google, you know, like to get. It but depends I, on the center. It, it totally depends on the center, but it's not going to be your biggest cost. Yeah. And when we're talking about the cost, when you were saying like, let's say ballpark $10,000 right now, the special you guys have under $6,000, that is just referring to one cycle. So yes. one cycle of how many eggs would you be getting yes. one cycle? Yes. We also have like packages where if you know you're going to need two or three, um, there's like packages for that as well. I don't know how it um, compares to the to this mm -hmm. deal. Deal, like I said, is really good. Um, but you're welcome to talk. We have a financial advisor who meets with everybody. She's amazing after every consult and goes through it with you. Um, and also checks your insurance to see if there's any coverage you can get. So um, and then how many IVF, how many eggs do you get per cycle? Usually, like for free. Okay, I'm, I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but I want to remember okay. IVF. When we talk about a cycle, we mean the retrieval and the transfer, right? There's two separate components. So um, that's in, in the package. It's, it's as many transfers as you need to get pregnant, which I would say is different than a lot of other centers where they make you pay for transfer. Um, okay, now about how many eggs you need. Okay, this question, I get it every single time. I cannot tell everyone how many eggs they're going to get out of a cycle. It depends because there's no number for everyone. Every, it depends on their reserve. I have You have to come in, I see your numbers, I look at the ultrasound, how many eggs they need to run this month, and I give you an estimate of how many I think you're gonna get. How many do you need? That I can tell you a little bit easier depending on the family side that you want and the age that you are. So, um, and there's many egg freezing calculators out there, by the way, that I encourage people to kind of look up. Um, and you just have to make sure that the egg freezing calculator is um, backed by data. Um, so there's one on MD calc that, um, is based on a study done by Brigham women's hospital. That is really good. Um, I'll try and get you the, um, thing so you can put it in your show notes, but, um, you can put in your age and how many eggs you got, or just put in an arbitrary number, like 20, and it will tell you your chance of your estimated chance of one child, one live birth, two or three live births out of that group of eggs. Um, and that's just to give you an idea, because again, nobody's going to be able to tell you 100%. Um, but that's also, this is also a reason to do this the younger that you can, because the younger you are for the same group of 20 eggs, you have a much higher chance of a live birth than when you're older. So more bang for your buck when you do this younger. Is there like an amount of time that you can have frozen eggs for? Like after five years, are they, are they like not working and not work anymore? Great or questions. You have great questions. So um, no, as of now, we don't know the upper limit of time. Um, we've successfully thawed eggs that have been frozen for years. I mean, I usually tell women, I'm probably, I'm pretty confident that the eggs will be good for the rest of your reproductive life. Um, and you can even have kids, believe it or not, postmenopausal with your frozen eggs. We don't need you to be getting your period still in order to get you pregnant. Um, so they, they, we've had very good success with, there are some studies coming out that the longer they've been frozen, there's a slightly lower chance of success. Um, you know, again, risk benefits. Yeah, totally. So I actually posted on my status for, um, women singles to write down questions they had. I think we covered most of them, but we're just going to kind of like go through them quickly. 
So one question is, everyone says your egg quality starts declining at 35. Is this true or a myth? It is true. So depending what study you read, some people will quote it as 37, not 35. So I usually tell women between 35 to 37. True. Okay. But 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 we did say that you are still able to get pregnant. Absolutely. It just starts declining. Declining is not... A lot of times you'll notice it takes you longer to try to get pregnant when you're um, getting older. And this could be 34, you know, not everybody has a textbook, Um, but, um, and there are, you know, it could be harder to like the, like if you were to do IVF, for example, and to genetically test all your embryos, the percentage of normal embryos that you'll get at 35 is probably maybe 50% of the um, embryos you sent for biopsy versus when you're younger, it could be the majority versus when you're 40, it could be 25%. So it is true, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. Okay, next question. When should you start freezing your eggs? So this is getting back. I feel like we've we've kind of spoken about this in multiple different angles. It's really a personal decision. It depends on your family size and it depends on um, your age and your um, expenses, your social, everything. Yeah. I would love to see my Orthodox Jews thinking about it or coming to get checked in their late 20s and definitely thinking about it very seriously in their young. Yeah, and I'm barring barring anything abnormal. If you are somebody that has an irregular period, PCOS, endometriosis, please do not wait till then. Just come in and have a personal conversation with your doctor. Yeah, and I'm just gonna put here the advice that I give, just like as a coach. You know, most of the time, just talking like a consult, your insurance will cover it. You know, there there is like a copay. You're just talking. You're not doing anything. They're not touching your body. There's nothing except just having a conversation. Exactly, and you know, I have had, you know, women who come to me at 35, 36 saying, I feel like I'm too late. So I think no. it's when, when it's not, well, when it's not, yeah, what I'm saying right. is if you're thinking already about it when you're 30, yes. so just go get a consult. You yes. might be doing nothing about it. Like you yes. might not do anything, but at least like yes. Dr. Zahar said, you have the information. Yes. I want, I, and I also want to tell people, so I'd rather see you younger because I'd rather give you um, more bang for your money. But I want to tell women very, very clearly that 37, 38, 40 is not too late. If that's where you are in life, your doctor should meet you where you're at. You still have a good chance. Um, and, I, you know, I have seen women get pregnant with their own eggs, genetic eggs, up until age, I think the latest I've ever seen is 46. Now, I do not advise women over 43 most of the time to keep pursuing it, depending on their personal ovarian reserve. Um, because it's so few and far between, um, I would say it gets much, much harder once you're 43 and older. And I can probably count the finger on my fingers, how many times I've seen somebody 45 or 46 get pregnant. So, um, with their own eggs. Um, so I would, I would encourage you to do it as soon as you're thinking about it. But I would also say that don't ever assume it's too late without talking to the doctor. Yeah, I actually, I love that you're saying that because I've heard from so many women, like it's, it's too late for me. Like, I'm just going to accept no, it. No, you know? and it's, I, I, it's I joke sometimes 35 or 36, you're a baby in my business. Yeah. So another question that was asked is when should yeah. men be doing assessing fertility? Should they even be doing that? Yeah. Great question. Great question. Um, so halakhically, it's complicated for men to get checks because to do a semen analysis is halakhically complicated. So I would say, unless you have a reason um, to be worried about it, um, then uh, it's not the general recommendation to just get screened, um, both medically and also halakhically. But um, you know, again, 
if you're ever concerned or you have some specific concern that's worrying you, come in and talk. But I'm glad you mentioned it just because, you know, all this talk about women being worried, should they tell their spouse, should they not tell their spouse? You could absolutely get married to somebody who doesn't have sperm and you wouldn't know, right? So we all have to take these things into consideration at the end of the, world. At the, end of the day, God rules the world, not all the planning that we do. Yeah. And I just want to explain for those that maybe don't have, you know, like the, the, the knowledge of a reproductive system, having low sperm count does not mean uh, sexual dysfunction. Somebody could totally be functioning normally yeah. and it's just the sperm count. It's not um, every, everything else is working. So like you said, you wouldn't even know, you wouldn't even guess about it, even if you've been married for a year or two years and like, it's not working. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So another question that came up was, do you think that fertility should be brought up when you're dating? Is this a conversation that, that you should be having? I would turn that right back around to you as the <laughs> coach. What do you think? So, you know, I always tell people, whatever concerns you have, you should discuss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whenever I have had guys who would say, I suggest um, a woman who, for, for they want to say no because of age. Mm-hmm. So I always say to them, what's your concern about age? Mm-hmm. Is it fertility? Is it that you're in a different stage in life? Is it that she's too independent for you? You know, whatever the case is. And then based on what the answer is and what the concern is about age. So then you figure out if it's applicable to this person. Mm-hmm. So let's say you, and it happens a lot where like, they say you meet in a single chapeton. So you don't even know the age mm-hmm. and you really like this woman. You're like attracted to her. You want to go out with her. You mm-hmm. find out her age, you feel uncomfortable because of fertility. I would say, go for it and then have a conversation, ask her, you know, um, not in the first date, <laughs> but at some point, oh, um, you know, have you ever, looked into your fertility or is that a concern that you have or you know what i'm saying like to have an open conversation i actually did a podcast on how to discuss mental illness and medication and how delicate it is and how to approach it i think mm-hmm. anything that is delicate you have to uh it has to be the right timing you have to do it respectfully and you also have to give room for the person to not be ready to talk about it to be able to come back and say that's a great question mm-hmm. can i come back to you you know and yeah. kind of give them the chance to kind of um digest Yeah. I think these are really good questions and complex. And I feel very lucky that we have somebody like you on, on this side of the equation. You, you really know a lot. You're very reasonable. And I'm, I'm glad that people are looking to you for advice. I would say, um, you're you're amazing. You're, you always have been amazing. I'm not surprised. Um, I would say anybody that's listening to this podcast, we can do a test run. Um, if you have a couple, Raquel, that the male is not going out with the female because he's concerned about age, free consult on me. Happy to talk to them. Wow. Um, you guys and- heard that. Okay. <laughs> we'll give you a free consult to the guy if he's worried about age and fertility. Or to wow. the couple if they've made it through a few oh, dates. Let him date her. Let him go out with her a few times and then come talk to me. Free that is so beautiful. And Thank they can you. decide. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just so much fear and not enough. Um, mm-hmm. knowledge you know it's like when, when you know I could give more personal advice I, it's hard for me to give a blanket statement but I can give more personal advice and I'm sure that most of the time it will be more reassuring than not so yeah so we had another kind of coaching question I think we'll end with this one which was somebody who dated a guy who had had cancer and um, she wanted to know about fertility preservation and for those of you that that do not know a lot of times when people go through chemotherapy or stuff like that 
they do have to preserve either eggs or sperm. And it actually isn't a lucky question. Mm -hmm. um, I actually remember once hearing Urvavadia used to pass in on men uh, being able to preserve yeah. sperm. Mm -hmm. And every single person that he said, yes, he could do it, ended up living to, to use the sperm. And I heard that one of his sons said, so just say yes to everyone so they'll live. And he was like, no, no, I'm Paskin and Alacha. Like, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very Rabobadia answer. Yeah. He was not at all like, you know, a Moroccan, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, Babasali type. I mean, both big, big tariqim. But I'm saying he was much more like, you know. Yeah, it's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Fertility preservation is kind of its own conversation because uh, we can always do another um, session on that, um, both for women and for men. It depends on the chemotherapy that people received, what the gonadotoxicity is the medical term for it, of that chemotherapy. Um, and yes, fertility preservation before is um, great. Sometimes it's not always possible. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's its own kind of complex um, uh question but I would say if you're dating somebody that's had cancer in the past and has frozen sperm there's a very good chance you can get pregnant with that sperm um but again we can talk about yeah. it yeah so like the question was more how to deal with that with you know with having that conversation and you know Baruch Hashem I don't think it's such a common conversation it is an important conversation to have usually yes. I know what Rabbanim you know um recommends after the third date when you know like I'm interested in this going further right. we're transitioning right. from dates to dating right. You right. kind of bring stuff up and I would right. say it's always with sensitivity mm -hmm. and always giving room for the person to come back to you yes. and say oh I have more questions and, and and so forth but you can't force somebody to discuss something that they're not they're not comfortable discussing that's just a fact of life so absolutely absolutely wow we covered so much and this was so informational yes. I want to thank one more time Dr. Sahar Wertheimer for coming on here, giving of her time so graciously for making that beautiful offer. If you guys did not catch it, if you are, can you say it again? So, so, so we can get that. Yeah. I mean, let, let's try it out. I would say that if you are um, concerned, either a female or a male concerned about the age, I would say, make it to three dates, come in, we'll do um, a free consultation on what your fertility, you know, what potentially you have. And hopefully that will assuage some of the fears. Amazing. And thank you again for sharing your knowledge so graciously and so sensitively. And um, we really wish all of you guys Hatzlacha. You know, we should, uh, everyone should build a vice name on Israel. And like we saw a lot of um, memes and, you know, like you said, after October 7th and all the rallies, it was like, let's create more Jewish children. That's yes. always been our response. You know, yes. uh, the Jewish women in Mitzrayim were always thinking, okay, like what's next? We're going to continue continuity. Yes. And yeah. continuity is a beautiful concept and it's part and parcel of, of being, you know, Jewish yeah. and uh, Hashem with technology. There's so many ways out there to continue. Absolutely. You said everything perfectly. Couldn't even say it better. The Jewish response to tragedy is life and the value of life and making Jewish babies should be our priority right now. And thank God we have a lot of literally word for word what you just said. Thank you again. And thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you yes. soon.